Hey there, I'm Dana, a registered dietitian and registered dietitian exam tutor. And this is my podcast where we go over all of the questions that have been posted to my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Study Group with Dana over the past week. And we not only chat about the answers, but why are they the answers as well as answer any questions that students have posted on the page throughout the week. This is a weekly podcast, so be sure to tune in each week for new questions. And of course, I would love to see any of you guys at the live version of this on Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So the next question we have stumped a lot of you guys, which is exactly why I put it on the page. And so this question is a math question. It's out of domain three. It's break on break even. And some things we want to make sure we know before we head into a break even equation is you want to be thinking about what does break even mean, right? So the break even point is where I'm not making money, but I'm not losing money, right? So let's say it, you know, cost me $200 to put on a class, right? I need to make at least $200 to break even. That would be when I'm breaking even. I can pay, you know, the $200 in costs that it took to make the class, but, you know, I'm not going to be making any, you know, additional money. I'm making no profit. So it's a point where your bills are paid, but you're not having any profit. And when we're thinking about break even, there's two different equations that we can use with break even. There's going to be the break even in units sold, where my answer would be in units. And it'd be saying, I need to sell five classes at $25 each to break even. Or it can be in sales volume, which is saying, I need to sell, you know, $10,000 of classes to break even. So here's the question. So it says, Clear Flour wants to enter the gluten-free bread market. The fixed cost of manufacturing this product is $20,000. The variable cost per unit is 60 cents. They expect to sell 8,000 loaves of bread. What is the break-even price of the gluten-free bread loaves? So this one is confusing, right? Because... Anytime we see break even, and especially when we see a paragraph like this with math, our brain just goes, you know, out the window. So the very first thing I would do is think, okay, can I tell if this is in break even units sold or break even sales volume? So the best way to do that is to kind of categorize the different elements you have. So when you're looking for break even, you're looking for your fixed costs, your variable costs, and then your sales or selling price. Those are interchangeable. So I'm going to look at this. So I have I have my fixed cost. That's my $20,000. Okay. Then the variable cost is $0.60. Cents. And then my sales or selling price, right? That's a, do- that's a dollar is going to be the unit. And I don't have that, right? It's trying to confuse us by trying to want us to put $8,000 you know, loaves of bread. But 8,000 loaves of bread isn't my selling price. It's not a dollar value. So this kind of makes you take a step back and go, well, what could I use with this? And this is why, right, we hate this exam because what this exam wants you to go to say is I have the fixed cost. I have the variable cost. I don't have my selling price, right? And it's telling you what is the break even price. What do I need to sell these loaves of bread at 
to break even if I'm selling 8,000 units. So the 8,000 is my units here. So what I want to notice is I need to use the break even in units sold equation because I have every piece of that puzzle except my selling price. This cannot be my break even in sales volume because that variable cost rate is so small, 60 cents, that's per unit. First, when we're talking about variable cost in the terms of sales volume, it's going to be really big numbers. So the hint when you're trying to distinguish between the formulas is that if variable cost and our selling price is really small numbers compared to, you know, the 20,000 fixed costs, this is going to be in units sold. So when we're thinking about the break even in, in units sold, my equation is my fixed costs divided by sales minus variable costs. So I would plug in what I have. I know if I'm selling 8,000 rolls, right, that's to the left of my equal sign. So equals 20,000 over X minus 0.6, right, or 60 cents. So this is when we're like, oh no, I have to do, you know, some algebra here. But, you know, one of the nice things is on the exam, right, it would be multiple choice, but on the Facebook, I mean, because I want you guys to kind of see and notice. So what you would want to be doing is here you would need to be doing your kind of cross multiplication to cancel things out, right? So I want to bring my denominators up. So I would do, right, 8,000 times X equals, right, 0. 0.6 times 8,000. So that's going to be... Um, so that's going to be our 4,800. So now on the left-hand side of the equation, I have my 8,000x minus my 4,800. And then we have equals my 2,000, right? So I've kind of moved, moved everything across. And I'm you know, trying to get that 8,000 that 8, X alone so I can, you know, kind of solve for X. So what I could do right next is anytime I'm moving across the equal sign, I'm going to have to change the sign I'm doing, right? Annoying algebra here, but you want to make sure you're feeling okay with it so that you can do this on your own. So I'm going to be adding, right? I would add my 20,000 plus my 48,000 to move it across. So then I have 8,000x equals 24,800. And then to get my x alone, I'm going to divide the 24,800, divide that by 8,000. And that's how I should get $3.10. So there's a lot of math there, but again, you want to feel comfortable with it. And this one is multiple steps. First, you have to realize that it's break even in units sold. 
then you need to notice that it's asking you to do algebra. And that's why if you take any of my math classes, you guys are going to hear me say, keep your units tight and get it right. Because you realizing that the sales or selling price has to be in dollars is going to stop you from putting 8,000 8, loaves there. So definitely a trick, a tricky one. Um, so make sure that you're setting up on break even if that's tricky for you. Okay, next one we have is from a student and said, during a counseling session about lowering sodium, the client states that I have begun reading labels to identify the sodium content in food. This client is in which of the following stages? So we have pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, and action. So here, we want to be thinking about what is the goal because the answer to this question is all about what is the goal. So the goal is that she wants to decrease her sodium intake. So with each of these questions, we want to be thinking about, well, you know, which stage of it is she in getting to her goal of lowering sodium intake if she's just reading the labels? So with this one, it wouldn't be, we can cross that right away, it wouldn't be action because she's not eating low sodium, right? Right. She's just looking at the labels. So that would be our preparation, right? If action would be her eating low sodium, preparation is her exploring what that would look like, maybe finding a recipe that's low sodium, in this case, right? reading the labels. Contemplation would more look like her saying, I'm not sure, you know, if I can eat low sodium, but I think I've seen low sodium at the, at the store or, you know, I'm interested in doing low sodium. I know it'd be good for my health, but I, I just don't know if I could do it. And then our pre-contemplation, right? This is the patient who's like, you know, I don't, I don't really want to eat low sodium right? They're going to be the ones who are telling you, yeah, no, thank you. Next one is not a question, but a resource that's on the Facebook page. So remember, if ever in the podcast, I'm mentioning a resource and you're on the Facebook page, you can search for it in the search box. Or if you don't have the Facebook page, you can always email me at Dana J. Fryer Nutrition at gmail.com. So the new resource that I put on the page is a lab study guide because it's really important that for the labs, you guys are getting away from just being like, I'm going to memorize the value. I'm going to memorize the value because you want to also make sure that you're understanding what is that lab, right? Like what, what does it do? What's the purpose of that in the body? And then also think about what are cases that could make it high or low and you can link this to disease states, right? And then think it, connecting them to the disease states and also medications as well. So one of the easiest ways to study the labs is to put them all in a study guide, which is what I put on the page for you guys. And this is a common thing throughout the exam, especially when information on a topic is scattered throughout many different places. As you go through, gathering it in one study guide is going to be really, really helpful so that you can, you know, kind of have it all in one place. Because remember, if you're taking notes as you're studying and you know, you're not doing them in a way that's going to be useful for you to look back on. You're not going to go back and read a thousand notes, you know, so you want to make sure that even if you're the type of person who's like, you know, Dan, I have to take a thousand notes. This is how I work. Okay. Well, you know, scheduling an hour to each week where you kind of synthesize those down is going to be really, really helpful. 
Next, we had a question from a student who was saying, I was wondering if he had any advice for studying M&T in the different disease states. And I definitely want to encourage, if you guys haven't already, go back to episode two of Dietetics with Dana, because this is a whole topic, um, a whole episode on tips for studying M&T. A great way to start with the M&T is, again, similar to the labs, making a study guide. I do have an M&T study guide for sale on my website. Um, it's 52 pages. And how I break it down in the study guide is how I teach it exactly to my students if you take any of the M&T courses. The first step is knowing, well, what is the disease state? Right. If you don't, if you can't confidently tell me what is cystic fibrosis, what is black leukemia, that's the first thing, right? You got to do that. Then you have to think of, well, why are we concerned, right? Why are we in the diet? What's the nutrition issue? Then think about, well, what would I do for that? And then connect it to medications, labs, other things too. So that's how I would study it. Listen to episode two to definitely get a lot more advice. And also, if you want the work done for you in making a study guide, check out the MNT study guide. It's $20 on my website. Next question we have um, is thinking about, well, you know, what do we do when a patient has multiple disease states, right? And this was a big topic um, in the September group last week when we did domain two, because what we're thinking about there is it's tricky when you're like, okay, well, they have something and they usually they do like pressure injury and CKD and you're like, well, this one needs high, this one needs low. You know, what do you do with the protein? And what you want to think of is I would pick one disease state to start on and say, like, let's say, you know, someone has a stage three pressure injury. So you're like, okay, I definitely want to do higher protein. So I'm going to do 1.5 grams per kg. And then you're saying, okay, well, they also have CKD, let's say stage so, right, you're thinking more closer to the 0.8 grams per kg. And so you have 1.5 for one disease, 0.8 for one disease. And what you want to think is that if you have a wound, even if you have CKD, you still need more protein to heal the wound, but your body's not going to be doing, you know, as good of a job as of tolerating it. So you want to make sure that you're kind of adjusting it down. So you wouldn't be saying 1.5 or 0.8. You want to kind of meet in the, meet in the middle a, li a little bit too. So I would focus on one and then you can kind of adjust it too. And then the next one is also on kidney disease, kind of keeping in the same theme. So if a patient has chronic kidney disease on hemodialysis, right? The BUN is 50, the album is 2.8, and calcium is 8. What would the recommendations, what would the recommendations be? So with this one, right away, you should be able to be thinking about, okay, well, you know, BUN is high, right, which makes sense because they have CKD, right? Um, albumin is low, which could be for a variety of reasons, calcium is low, but also remember, low albumin is going to lower calcium too, so it's not as accurate. And the question is, right, what should we do? And the options are, right, decrease fluid intake, increase protein intake, use a calcium supplement and increase, um, and increase the amount of phosphate binders, right? So 
with this one, what we want to be thinking is, you know, what are the concerns for hemodialysis? And a big concern is the fact that they are going to be needing more protein, right? For hemodialysis, it's 1.2 grams per kg. So definitely, you know, when we're thinking about the MNT levels, you know, definitely protein is a, is a big one here. We wouldn't want to necessarily, you know, decrease fluid intake. We really don't have, you know, enough information. Do they have edema? What's their sodium? You know, using a calcium supplement, again, that's not like my number one concern right now. And then D is increase the amount of phosphate binders. I don't even have a FOS level, right? So sometimes like those questions like that are super easy to overthink. But again, you want to pause and say, what do I know about this disease state? Okay, next one is what is the MNT for altered taste changes? Big thing that you should be thinking of is zinc. So having a zinc deficiency can cause you to have taste changes. So that's always a good thing to check. Um, also, it depends, you know, everyone has a little bit different. I see this a lot in the oncology population, for sure. Um, so doing, you know, variety of flavors, right? Hot, cold foods, add spicy, add, you know, different flavors too can be really, really helpful. Um, can be really, really helpful for them too. Next one is less of a question and more of just a really great link to a resource about the different types of fuel and exercise. I had a student with a question on this. And what you wanna be thinking of is when, you know, someone needs instant energy, we need it right now. And this is the first 10 to 15 seconds of exercise. You're gonna be using your stored ATP, creatine and phosphate. That's kind of your like first 10 to 15 seconds. Then, if you're when you're more into your short term energy, so this is 15 seconds to two to three minutes, you're having anaerobic metabolism of glucose. And then when you're going into your long term energy, so this is, you know, greater than one to three minutes, what you're now having is the aerobic metabolism of glucose as well as fatty acids, a small amount of protein, but you can see it too but you're more relying on, right, your glucose and your glycogen. So this is when, you know, if you are running a lot of time, you'll hear people say, you know, like they're taking additional glucose every 45 minutes to replenish those stores because that's... Thanks for tuning in for this week's practice question review. Don't forget that we are doing these live on my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Tutoring with Dana R.D., every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and I would love to have you join live. You can also head to my website, danajfnutrition.com, to find out about the latest classes as well as study tips and services. Thanks for tuning in.